G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Good morning and welcome to the Tuesday edition of Trot's Life. Hopefully everyone's having a lovely morning. It's sort of... A little bit weird out there again today. It's uh, I've got the uh, bag of fruit on and it's a bit muggy and a bit sweaty, but it's not warm and it's cloudy. It's, it's just one of those. It's one of those days, the bridging days between uh, winter and summer that's not really any more spring. But anyway, that's enough of seasonal chat with Jay Bond. We're going to get stuck in a trot's life now. I've got a very, very, very long, uh, somewhat impassioned breezing with Bond to kick off the card. Uh, and kick off the show and launch today's episode. Matty Leopard, uh, fans of the big cat, the big lynx, the puma, the panther, the leopard, will be very happy to hear that he's back on deck today. So hopefully we'll get plenty of tips right around the country as we so often do. So from about uh, 11.30 right through um, to complete the first hour of the show, we'll be talking to Matt Leopard and then we'll be having a look at the field's so we won't get the Sunday fields while on air today. They're going to drop at two dollars thirty at two thirty. Um, this is what happens when you bet too much. Uh, gamble responsibly. Uh, call one 858 if it becomes a problem. At half past two, uh, they will drop uh, for Redwood Day and Victoria Trotters Derby Day on Sunday. And I'm hearing some uh, some quite distressing news about the Rattler. Um, it seems like it probably won't be going ahead, which is really sad and probably. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it will go ahead next year, but for whatever reason, maybe it was the first year back from the pandemic that it, people had just forgotten about it because it was uh, very well attended every single year prior to the pandemic um, getting off the ground. And uh, we will, though, look at the Tabcor Park Mountain Fields, of course, Group 1, Queen of the Pacific Night at Tabcor Park Melton. This is the third leg of the Elizabeth Clark Mayor's Triple Crown. Right, here's the breezing with Bond. They don't call racing the great game for nothing. Actually, shit, I'll be honest. I've got no freaking idea who gave it that name in the first place. I don't know where that origin story originates. Pertinently, given the nature of this harangue, it was almost certainly punters.com or a side of that nature, or more relevantly, a handle of that nature, a Twitter handle, of course, given racing's finest, loudest, proudest, vilest, wiliest, most influential and experiential opinions exist via the blue bird. Exactly why racing settled on Twitter as its platform of choice is its own cavernous conundrum. Nevertheless, it has, and in many ways, it's a blessing. Socials rarely or never narrate the full spectrum of public opinion on any subject of substance. Be that politics, sport, music, art or culture of any kind. Despite its myriad, often malevolent failings, however, social sites like Twitter, like Facebook, like Insta, like Snap, naturally help many, especially old men like me, Navigate the waters of public sentiment along with institutional change. And please, let this age old man tell you that racing, or more pertinently punting, has executed more flips, pikes, half pikes, pirouettes, somersaults, twists and turns in the past decade than any sane seer could ever have predicted. Truthfully and tragically, I can't speak for the forefathers of punting in this part of the world. Yet the stories of this era set my heart ablaze and I think a lot of people's hearts ablaze. Let's speak freely here and be very honest. 
despite my branding as the loosest Aussie Australian bloke, or loosest Aussie racing bloke, those that know me get the grift at play. Don't get me wrong. If any fellow racing lover approaches me at uh, a night spot crown and wants to talk this great game in the witchy gowns at whatever bar will service, I'm all in and always will be. As for pulling rods, however, not so much. In fact, not at all. This pro- proclamation isn't about piety. It's just my nature. I don't really, I'm just not a cheat. Um, but they were great days, uh, and I'll talk about them right now. Nevertheless, all the evolved beings, um, all evolved beings are destined for distant, dichotomous, painfully paradoxical questions which they must ask themselves. Without naming names or detailing deeds, I relish the anecdotes, even though I don't do it myself and it's not my nature. I do relish the anecdotes I've been privileged to hear about racing and punting and gambling of all denominations way back when. Those days were very, very different. Yes, some suffered the wrath of the same uh, writhing predators who still and will always walk racetracks and the earth in general. And still, and this may expose one or two attributes around my nature, on the one hand, I'm in awe of those that bound together as comrades to secure a sting, which is one of my favourite movies of all time, which naturally is one of my most loved films. Yeah, I've already written it there. On the other hand, harsh as it sounds, I don't despise the concept of a fool and his money being very quickly parted. It's certainly worth mentioning at this point, listeners, that the 400-plus words you've already endured represents little more than a little platform for what's to come because I want to talk about the evolution of the punt and how we need to recognise how racing has changed, broadcasting for racing has changed, and punting has changed. Um, Before I bravely deign to designate this argument, though, let's summarise in brutal terms. Back in the good old days, as some would call them, bookies and punters went to war, and whether you like it or otherwise, this combat was largely corrupt in nature. Incredibly immoral as it now seems to some, these conflicts were welcomed by their combatants and they also set the scene for racing to enjoy its enduring, iconic, entrancing place in our nation's popular culture. Now, finally, let's push towards the point. For starters and for multitudinous reasons, we all accepted long ago the bad old days are gone. They were usurped in a bloodless coup of sorts by my earliest experiences of racing. This is like phase two and my later experience as well, phase three. As most uh, that regularly listen to my increasingly husky tones on this platform will know, my racing romance began at an incredibly tender age. Yes, by the way, I used to be tender. My family, amazingly, incredibly, indefinably wonderful as they were, had no direct racing relationships. Crazily, despite my love of the game, I didn't visit a racetrack until I was like 18 years old. None of that mattered. All I knew in my most impressionable years was that my late legendary father, who was Victoria's Find a steel fixer, despite having two completely shattered knees. Always seemed to smile when punting on the weekend. How could I not believe this must be life's ultimate path to peace? Go to work, do your hard graft, batter your body, then come home and uh, and have a laugh while you're having a punt. Or sometimes if things don't go right, maybe not a laugh. During my formative years, and even through high school, very few read none of my closest friends harboured any interest in racing. They still don't. And here's the kicker. They never, ever will. At times, I shook the addiction. It was a beautiful addiction. Unlike many that have lived in this uh, wonderful industry, I have had and do have many other interests. Um, I love my music, as people know, comedy, philosophy, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I like a lot of other things. If you're genuinely magnetised to it, however, racing like the mafia always sucks you back in. Within six months of starting my psychology and lit degree at Melbourne Uni, I was penning letters to anyone that would listen 
begging them for an opportunity at any level of the racing media. At the same time, I'd convinced my uh, beautiful late brother, Rady, who many of our listeners will feel they know, given how often I reference him, to love racing and footy like I did. Don't be scared and don't, Nat. This is where we properly hit top gear. In those days, this is phase two, in the late 90s and early 2000s, when AD and I really got involved, punting and racing interest in general was infinitely different to what it is now. Just as the generations before me had played their nefarious game, typically on track, we waged our wars in retail venues. And for us, that meant right around Geelong, the railway, the petrol, and the Sphinx, and even the ones that weren't pub tabs back in the earlier days at Minerva Road, next to Western Heights College. Hard as many young punters would would find this to believe, there were almost no communal investments back then. This is the critical key to the argument. Punting was still fun, but it wasn't friendly. Retail venues were riddled with badly broken souls. Men in their 50s and 60s that would elbow you away from the single form page, which represented your only hope of wagering with any wisdom whatsoever. Despite the laughs, frivolity and fun, wagering when I came through was a serious business. My objective wasn't to share success with friends. It was solely to outplay them. It was a competitive environment. It was an antagonistic environment. And that was the fun of the game back then. At its core, the Saturday afternoon experience at the Sphinx or the Petrol or the Lord of the Isles, didn't mention that one before, or wherever, was all about being smarter, sharper and superior in every facet. Naturally, the racing media of the era represented the values outlined above. I, and certainly those older than me, didn't want bants from their racing media people. They didn't want fun. All we wanted was important information and sober analysis back then. Holy Lord, these days are gone. And after 35 years in the punt, I'm genuinely, genuinely grateful that they are. Despite applying for racing roles at 19, my first opportunity in the media or the industry came 11 years later, and I'm thrilled that life changed when it did. Let's be real, I'm 43 years of age now and without doubt suffer strongly from some brand of Peter Pan syndrome. Embarrassing as that might be, however, it also has its benefits. Unlike many, I've always refused to rest on my laurels and have never resisted progression the way many do. A lot of people still, they they find a spot in life and say, this was the best time in the world, in my life, and everything now that happens is a disgrace. And these are the good old days and that's the end of the story. If you live like that, you get left behind, in my opinion. Don't get me wrong, by the way, I properly load the deification of youth culture and youth wisdom like they know more than um, people older than them, because they don't. If you're under 30 and you're listening now, I love your guts and support your journey, but you're also basically amoebas. Uh, in some ways, your generation have improved the human condition, but generally, you're like lovely little puppies with loads of energy and precious little idea. Here's the good news, however, and here's a kicker. Racing loves young players, and racing needs young players. 18 plus, of course. They've savaged me before for suggesting otherwise, yet the point remains the same. And because, despite my nasty narrative, I've stayed young at heart myself and I've witnessed racing's evolution, I get and love what I would label the postmodern punting spirit. This is phase three. This is where we're at now. It is, and this isn't an advertorial because I don't do that sort of stuff, the spirit of SEN track. It's also the spirit of several progressive wagering service providers. I won't name them because, you know, you don't let it do, yeah, and that, there particularly one that I shouldn't mention, but most intelligent listeners will know that I think are probably the best in terms of um, tapping into the younger audience. Unlike many of life's movements and manifestations, this shift in thinking, this recruitment of racing lovers, 
there's far more pros than cons. Sure, as an old, white, unprivileged male, I'm uh, never overly enamoured with the young folks thinking they understand racing's machinations after following the sport for 18 months, but that's because I know it's a lifelong degree. Even though it wasn't how I was raised, however, I love the idea of communal punting. I love the shared stories that young people want to get involved in now. I love the concept of sitting at some cool kid pub in St Kilda or Paran or Brunswick, punting with your squad, while also searching for a nod. And you know what I mean by that, looking across the room and, and trying to enjoy yourself uh, on the prowl, but also having a punt and not having to be in one of those disgusting, salami-smelling venues that I grew up in when trying to have a bet. I love that racing's new crew want their racing presenters to be fun and amusing and accessible. I relish the fact that this station encourages their talent to go off on air when they jag a winner and then show their horror when shit goes awry. It's a dying art, but some sporting media still believe that straight-laced nothingness will cut the mustard. It will not. We started with wild, wonderful, game-changing rorts. We grew to a game that took itself, understandably at the time, a little too seriously. We've settled at a place where growing the game and engaging new fans implores us in the media to treat said fans as equals, to ride the wave together to join in the trenches. And I can tell you from experience, these listeners, this family here on SEN Track, they get it. They bloody get it. No, nobody of any merit has any desire to marginalise the role of those presenting the product. They just want us, that's me or Brown Dog or Tags or Sammy Highland or Cam Luke or whoever it might be or Mitchabaya, the great Peacock or uh, Miles Fitzner to be real, as they absolutely should. If everyone follows in the footsteps of what most are doing at SEN Track Racing can thrive and the massively loving, grateful, appreciative, collegiate relationship between the talent in, 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 um, in commas and their listeners will significantly aid racing's long-term sustainability, inverted commas. If we revert to being robots, however, delivering smooth, sultry, inaccessible content, which makes certain old school presenters feel good, but ultimately severs the connection with this new vibrant postmodern punter, we may as well pack up now. So that was a very, very long breeze. But the point of it was, um, it's sort of a little bit of a journey through what racing, how racing started. And there's nothing wrong with still loving the stories of the past like I do. Racing started as a game where... Uh, punters and bookies and bookies against bookies and big money flying around and information and a bit of dodginess and a couple of rorts. And it was a lot of what Australia was founded on. Now, we don't like that stuff anymore, fair enough. We don't live that way. But then we started in, in a pursuit of making racing the sport of kings here, uh, particularly thoroughbred racing. It was all very, very serious and very much like you're going to invest money that you've earned at work and we can't talk about this in any other way but seriously and try our very best to get you over the line and make a profit, which very few people are going to do. And that's part of that's part of the reason why this new attitude is so much better, where we're just having fun. It's entertainment. It's about being in things together. It's about everyone showing their emotions and having a great time because – the truth is, and I say this very, very regularly, and it's something that everybody has to accept, the overwhelming preponderance of punters will not win. If you are going if you're going into ownership expecting to make money, if you're expecting to go into punting to make money, if you're expecting to go into any form of racing and the only way you're going to be happy is if you make a profit, do something else. Because the whole idea of racing is that it's enjoyable, that the wins mean more than, you know, a dollar one is always going to be uh, 
twice as sweet, 18, 35, 72 times as sweet as a dollar earned. Uh, doing it together with mates, that's the same as in ownership or in punting or whatever you might want to do. Doing it together, having fun and enjoying the entire string of the relationship between um, the wagering service providers, the punters, the talent, all the rest of it. This is the way of the future. And if we don't recognise it across the board, not just here at SEN Track, but right across the board, uh, it'll be a massive wasted opportunity. Time for a break when we return. Uh, I don't think fields will have dropped, but I'll try and get some uh, early nominations to find out who might be going around on Saturday night at Tab Corp Park Melton. Then at 11.30, we're joined for the first time in three weeks by the big cat, Matt Lepard. You're listening to Tuesday Trots Life with Jason Bonington. Sure, it makes any sense at all that song. I'm not listening to it now. I'm not going to put any white flag above my door because I'm in love and always will be. Yeah, no, they get, this is why that this is why I didn't get into psychology. I did the degree, but you get, like, where do you go from there? Like, there will be. She won't surrender because she's in love. Is that is that what it is? But I don't know. I still don't, no one asked her to. Is it, but the, the thing is, is anyone asking her to surrender? What it makes me think that the bloke has left. He's gone. But she's good. she's not letting go of the relationship because she's still in love. I'm not giving up on you. You haven't been home in three years. But I'm not, there's going to be no white flag above my door. And I'm also not going to go ahead and try and find anybody else or move on with my life because I'm in love. And let me tell you, Ricky or Tony, whatever your name is, I always will be. And uh, I'll uh, I'll find you. I find you. Uh, 11.25, we've only got a few minutes until we've uh, got to duck away uh, to the news and then we'll come back with Matty Lepide. We're sorry, maybe for like a, a minute right at the very start, there was no, uh, there was no sound, but... That's what Matty Lepard tells me. But um, hopefully now the app is up and going. Certainly the indications are that that has transpired and that we're back on deck. I'm just going to have a look for the um, – oh, here we go. Paul Auction Board. Here's some of the noms at least before we can get the full the uh, the full fields up for Saturday night. Um, surely – this is not what you have sent me here. Oh, here we go. We've got... What's going on here? This will be for Friday night, the Swan Hill Pacing Cup. Uh, Cosimo, Vanquish Stride, Blitzern, Velox Equus, our millionaire Phoenix Prince like a wildfire. Didn't, didn't life change then for a moment. When we got to them and Torrid Saint, uh, we'll be going around in the Swan Hill... Uh, pacing Cup on Friday night. So uh, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, there's feature racing right across the board. Isn't this uh, absolutely spectacular? At this time of year, we know for the Thoroughbred fans, we've got uh, Melbourne Cup week coming up as well. So uh, a lot to look forward to. Swan Hill Mile. I'm getting uh, more noms coming through from the great man, Paul Oxford, that I'll get to soon. But uh, Swan Hill Mile, is there any standouts there? Probably not. I thought Rocket Boy was okay. On 
on Saturday night at Beckley Park, Geelong. Magic Mike, a stable mate in that race. I'm Shadow Boxer. A winner the previous night at Tabcorp Park. Melton goes around there as well. Uh, and I'm just trying to see if I can find on that program, which I should be able to do in just a moment. Um, try to come up with some denomination, but no, that's the uh, that's the pacing cup. Now I'm just going to duck back and we'll have a look at the Saturday night ones. Uh, the feature races, including the Queen of the Pacific, and we know what the, who the likely combatants are going to be there. Doug's Babe, after a great run uh, last weekend, ladies in red, uh, Tough Tilly and Treachery will all be there, you would imagine, but I will check it out now because I have those uh, nominations in front of me. Queen of the Pacific, here we go. Common Courtesy, who I thought was, well, again, Queen of the Pacific, Group 1 level racing for the mayors. There's only two Group 1 mayors races in Victoria every year, so you can, these are the best of the best, and you're dealing with ladies in red, who's arguably the best of the boys and the girls. Um, but Common Courtesy, I thought was really good last week in leg two of the Triple Crown, the Angelique Club base. It's drawn one, Auntie Bella two, Jenden Strike three, it's Beaujolais four. Brave You Kelly for Jack Trainer has drawn gate five in the group one. Ben Studd, Standard Bread's Queen of the Pacific. Uh, tough Tilly six. So it gets a front row advantage over ladies in red. Doug's Babe seven. They've both got really, really good gate speed. But remember, the Queen of the Pacific is staged over the long trip at uh, Tabcor Park, Melton. So will they, will they both want to fly the gate um, knowing that They've got to have a kick at the finish once Ladies in Red comes around. Barrier 8 in the Queen of the Pacific is occupied by Sarah and Barrier 9, Treachery. 10, Vincenzina. 11, the megastar mayor Ladies in Red after her outrageous win in the Angelique Club Bay, second up from a break last Saturday night. Ruby Wingate, 12. And number 13 is Mona Mia. Just looking at having a quick squeeze at the other um, really good races on that program. You've got heats of the Rising Stars. You've got heats of the Battle of the Claimers. So we'll get to them when the final fields have come out, and that won't be too far away. So at the uh, at the end of the first hour, we'll we'll have a look at those after we've assessed all of the bets bets from Matty Lapard. He's going to join us straight after the news. But for now, let's find let's find out what's happening in the world. I heard somebody has. Unfortunately, uh, one of the celebrities had passed away, but I didn't quite catch it. I'll try and catch it this time. Here's the news. You're listening to Tuesday Trots Life with Jason Bonington. You absolutely are listening to Jason Bonington on SEN Track. This is Trot's Life, the only dedicated harness racing show right around the country that uh, operates five days a week, 11 and a half hours a week, and then quite often you get a lot more harness racing action, of course, on the nighttime programs, particularly on Friday and Saturday night. Matty Leppard to join, or Matty Lepard, I should say, to join uh, very shortly, and I'll give you the heads up. He's got seven tips for us today. Three at Bendigo, two at Menangle, and two at Albion Park. So hopefully we can get him on the line relatively soon. And when we do, he can outline exactly where we should be playing. We will start with Lord's Raceway, and I think he's got a tip or a bet. Let me check. Yep, opening race on the card. So um, 
you might even have an early opinion on um, on some of the futures coming up. Uh, I, I don't think Matty Lepard's a big, the big cat's a big uh, futures player, but um, there's going to be a fair erosion between uh, now when the Inter-Dominion goes around. It was funny uh, talking to Tim O'Connor on air yesterday. Literally a couple of horses came out of the Inter-Dominion for the Trotters while we were on air. That's going to be the nature of the game. But he's back from his little sojourn away, his little, his little rest. Are you feeling rested and recuperated and ready to go, Matty Lepard? Hello, Jase. Yes, I'm back. I uh, got back last week, so I just uh, ducked over to Bali for eight days with the with the family. Um, drank plenty of bintang and sat by the beach and the pool for most of the week. But I was back in time for Cox Plate Day, so I went there. And then this week, um, looking forward to a, a few days at Slevington during Cup Week. Yeah, right. Um, I don't. I don't mind that. That's. Look, I, I'm sure this wasn't the reason for it, but that is a great move. Head off. For a nice little relaxing week in Bali um, with with the betrothed and the family, knowing that you're probably going to have a, a pretty large week at Flemington. I, I like it. It's very clever. Race one at Bendigo is the first race we're going to be playing in. Um, who are we backing, Big Cat? Um, yeah, siding with the one down the bottom here, Lavender Dolly for Clinton McSwain and Greg Sugars. This is a, a three-year-old filly um, who is showing a little bit of promise. Uh, seems to be having to be driven sit sprint, though. So the back row draw suits. There's only one runner on the back row, so Sugars can just pop off at the start and, and settle in the handy in the running line. Well, I think the early leader looks to be number two, Lollipop, who's first up for Bruce Morgan. Um, has good gate speed, a little bit of a distance query, but it looks the leader. A bit of other gate speed off the front. Modern Jive, little blubbermouth. Um, our three colours may go forward, and Try Rockin' might even be the breeze horse. So... Even though there's only seven horses going around, there looks to be a genuine enough tempo. And I think Lavender Dolly, if you can run up to its win two starts back at Maryborough where it swooped from near last, it may be able to run over them again here. Last time at Melton, it was a little bit disappointing from the 1-1, but it did sort of miss the start about 20 metres um, and then caught them up in a slow first half. But then I still thought it was entitled to finish closer. But I think this race, back to the middle trip, looks a bit more suitable, driven sit sprint. And um, and looks a good way to start the night at Bendigo. It's been two eighty into two thirty, and I think it deserves its favourite. Did you have a uh, before you had to race six? The second of our races at Lord's Raceway. Did you have a good uh, return weekend on the punt? I'm sure we might have to split this between what you were doing on the thoroughbreds and what you were doing on the trots. But I would imagine that uh, I would imagine that Saturday night at Geelong would have suited uh, your style of punting. It certainly suited mine. Yeah, I. Um... I did have a good weekend on the punt. I'm having a bad month overall. Um, I'm having my worst month for the year so far for October, but um, I've got my nose in front of the month, so hopefully we can at least turn a profit over this last week of the month. But it was a good weekend. Um, Geelong was good to me. Um, Menangle and Albion Saturday night were good to me as well. So we've got one week to go. I think the end of the month is next Monday. So we've got seven punting days left, or six punting days left. So hopefully we can um, finish off the month. Let's do it strongly today. Let's get it. Uh, let's get this last week really kicked off today. Uh, race six on the program favourite here, if I am not mistaken, is Vapor Brenda at two dollars ninety. But it's a pretty compressed market between the top three. Vapor Brenda at two ninety. Quiet Queen for Corey Bell and Ben Yol at three twenty. And Jody Quinlan has Lady in Line at three dollars eighty. Which of these three is going to prevail, Big Cat? The one that will prevail, I think, is the leader, and that is number three, Choir Queen, for Ben Yol and Corey Bell. So 
both Lady in line and particularly Vapor Brenda that racing really, really well. But Vapor Brenda drawn inside back row, following a slow one over the mile is a bad draw for it. And I think Choir Queen can lead all the way here. This is a horse formerly trained by Russell Jack, um, well-bred and out of Collins, Melody, uh, Collins Medley. Um, the horse appears to have been sold since it last raced six months ago. So it's now owned by Ben Yole and trained by Ben Yole. However, it did trial at Bendigo recently and it was absolutely strangled up the straight and running up bums and it was a very, very impressive trial. Um, what it showed to me in the trial was that it had a lot more to give and going on its um, earlier season form when it was with Russell Jack, this is a pretty smart horse. And if it can lead over the short trip around Bendigo, I think that really suits it. It's got the gate speed to lead. Lady in line can't cross it. So it looks a guaranteed lead, a quiet queen. And it probably only needs to pinch a cheap quarter and it might be able to get away with this. So you can still get 320 out there, um, which I think is actually a super price. I thought it was more around a two or 50 sort of chance. Um, Bendigo over the short course is a very leader dominated track and very peg biased um, sort of set up. So as long as quiet queen can find the pegs and dictate, then it's very hard to beat. So that's race six, number three. All right, and that's again. I know I push on about this or, or blabber on about this all the time, but that is, if Big Cat's saying that should be two fifty and it's three twenty, you're getting about nine or ten percent of value, which is uh, similar to backing a, a, a one something you've marked at ten to one at a hundred to one. That's when you get when you start getting towards the top of the market. Then three dollars twenty. If you think something's two dollars fifty, that's a lot of value there. So get involved with Quiet Queen. I am interested that you've chosen race eight to play, and this looks like a really Tricky race to me. Biella Boy uh, grows a leg in front, generally speaking. I don't know a lot about dance for me, but I, I think if it's any good at all and it's going to be behind the leader, it's going to be very hard to beat. I, I would say it's between those two. Which one have you chosen here and exactly why, Big Cat? Yeah, no, you've got your eyes crossed there. Race 11, not not race 8. I was going to say, I, can't, I, was, I was actually kind of shocked that you would want to play in race 8. Because it's, it looked to me, um, you like to have a little bit of clarity about what you do and be able to say, well, this thing's going to lead and this is going to be behind the leader and this is how the race will be, will be run and there's got to be class differentials. That wasn't the case in race eight. So we move on to race 11. Hopefully this is a little bit easier, although once again, the market suggests no, but you might have worked it out. Joey's Hangover is the favourite here at $3.10. Yeah, these, these low-grade um, races where they're rated in the 40s, they're generally not my go because they're all bad animals. But I think Joey's hangover is absolutely flying for Taylor French. And um, I think despite drawing seven, I think it can can win here. Um, it's a sort of horse that even though it's only a little horse, it seems to be, it seems to enjoy being driven as though you hate it. You need to get it up on speed, either leading or breezing and just keep rolling and rolling and rolling. And that's how it was driven two starts back when it breezed and won at Shepparton in 157. However, last time it sat leaders back and was badly held up and never really got clear air, which is not really its go. Um, so from gate seven, I expect Taylor to roll forward at the start. There is a little bit of gate speed inside it. Um, whether it finds the front, I don't know, but even if it has to sit in the breeze, I'm more than happy with that. As long as it's driven in a, in a forward manner early and either leads or breezes, then it'll, it'll certainly give a sight. Whether something sitting on it nabs it at the end, possibly, but I think at the Around the, you still get three dollars forty if you shop around, and I think at that price you're going to get a great run for your money up on speed. And as I just said, up on speed, Bendigo over the mile, it's the place to be, and um, it should give a good sight. So that's race eleven, number seven, Joey's Hangover. Race eleven, number seven, Joey's Hangover. 
It's a great phrase. It's, it, we need to explain it for the animal lovers sometimes, but you've got to drive it, drive it as though you're not best mates sometimes is uh, is what we'll say. We'll have a, a go at one race at Menangle and we'll take a break and come back with one more tip at Menangle and two at Albion, but we'll start with the third in Sydney town. What do you like there, Big Cat? Um, race three um, at Menangle. It's a trotter's race. Um, there are some handy trotters going around here, but I'm siding with one called Right Moves. It's trained by Brian Portelli, and he's been doing the majority of the driving on the horse throughout its career. But Leighton Green, who's a very, very promising uh, young driver, he's only 18 years old, I think, but he's already clocked up over 100 wins, and he jumps on the horse today. In my opinion, Portelli to Leighton Green is a massive positive driver change, and therefore... I expect the horse to go possibly even better than it did last week when it sat in the breeze and went 156 over the mile. Um, there is a little bit of gate speed inside it with Queen of Strathfield, who led all the way last week. But I wouldn't be surprised if um, if Leighton went forward at the start over the 2300 here, whether Leighton might roll onto the top and lead with right moves. And if it leads, uh, it's a little bit of a distance query. Uh, it's more of a miler than a 2300 horse, but as long as you can rate it, Okay, then it'll be very, very hard to beat, I think. Um, last week's win was very impressive, and it can hopefully take the next step up from that. Aldebaran Tess is an interesting horse, former Victorian, with loads of ability, trained by Matt Craven. Now up in uh, Sydney, trained by Soph Arvidsson. Um, it did trial up there recently, and it still looked like it wasn't trotting all that smoothly. It didn't gallop in the trial, but it didn't trot all that smoothly. And in Victoria... Uh, those that follow the Victorian trots would know Aldebaran Tess had a really bad habit of galloping in her races. So whether they've sorted out that gating issue, from what I saw in the trial, I'm just happy to steer around her until we see her trot all the way. But the big mid-angle track will definitely help. But I'm siding with race three, number six, right moves. Race three, number six, right moves. Aldebaran Tess, by the way, and I think you'd agree, because as we go to the break, if anybody can sort her out, she's very good. Very, 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 very good. But... um uh, sorting it around has been the issue. Yeah, she's got a mind of her own. <laughs> and a, a bit of a body of her own. Well, they're connected, aren't they? Uh, dualism, monism. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Renee Descartes when we come back. But for now, let's go for a break here on Trots Live. Come back. Three more tips coming from the big cat. Don't miss a thing. You're listening to Tuesday Trots Life with Jason Bonington. You know the uh, Dua Lipa's heritage, Albinos, Albanian, and apparently like, there's a there's a whole crew of them. Bebereksha is uh, is Albanian, and there's another one, and they're all sort of a very unusual situation. Anyway, uh, nothing wrong with that. God bless the Albanians. Thank you for delivering uh, Dua Lipa to us and and all the rest. Uh, we're moving on to the next tip from. The big cat, Matty Labbitt, who rejoins us after a couple of weeks off the scene. And the next race that we are playing in, I won't get this one wrong, is Menangle Race 9. What do we like here, Matthew? Yeah, this is the fast-class race for the day. Some horses rated up to 70. But also eligible were horses that got balloted from Saturday night. So there's a big discrepancy here in the national rating assessment of numbers 1, 2, 3 and 4 compared to numbers 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. So I'm going with one of the classier horses in the race here, and that's number nine, Pump the Brakes. 
Uh, he's zero wins from 13 starts this season. But last week he resumed from a two-month let-up and ran second beaten a metre behind AG's White Sox and beating home perfect stride. Now, that's super form for a race of this nature. This is a much, much weaker Tuesday race than last week. I'm just not sure where he maps from the wide draw. Um, he does have some gate speed, but there is a little bit of gate speed inside him with Alec Willer, who is a noted front runner, but his last couple of runs have been quite poor. So whether pump the, pump the brake goes forward and tries to get cover or whether he just goes back at the start, he's got options. But I certainly think his run last week in that uh, stronger race was better than what anything here is capable of producing. So he's already been 420 into 260. And with even luck, I think he might be able to run over them. So that's race nine, number nine, pump the brakes. All right, we pump the brakes here for a moment, but then we go back on the accelerator because we're going to Albion Park. We've got two races we're going to play there. So three at Benigo, two at Menangle, and two at Albion Park. And the first of the Albion Park races we're going to be having a look at is race seven. In fact, we're targeting the two final races on the program, races seven and eight. Big Cat, take it away. Yeah, and we're going to back a couple of Pete McMullen drives here, both trained by his partner, Chantel Turpin. Um, in race seven, number five, the high commander. Um, both of these tips in race seven and eight, where Pete's, Pete's driving, they're both horses that I expect to hopefully lead. Um, and since they recently resurfaced the Albion track, it's playing quite peg-biased. Horses out wider on the track don't seem to be making ground. So that's important to note for today's meeting. Um I don't think it's necessarily the way the weather's been up there. It's just the way that they resurfaced the track and the track hasn't settled when you're talking three and four cart widths off the track on that last lap. So at the moment, until we see otherwise, I think you need to focus on peg line runners at Albion. And the high commander, number five in race seven, fits that bill. He has gate speed. There is a little bit of gate speed inside him, but I'm hoping that he might be able to work his way to the top here. And um, and as we know, the way Pete McMullen drives, he likes to sort of keep them rolling along in front and throw down a big third quarter. Um, as long as he doesn't go down, uh, throw down too quick of third quarter, then I think he can get away with this with the high commander in front. Five starts back, he led over this trip and went 151-4 and just got beaten. If he can get anywhere near that sort of time today, he'll he'll be winning. So we just need to hopefully get the map right, find the front, and then leave the rest up to Pete to rate him in the van. So that's race seven, number five, the high commander. Race seven, number five, the high commander. And then we go to race eight. And is it uh, was leader Peter last time? Is it going to be leader Peter in the last as well? Well, I'm hoping, yeah. Um, number four, it's Mr. Clooney. So this is a horse that uh, back during the winter carnival, he he improved quite a bit through that winter period and, and was able to lead all the way in a 152.3 mile, um, beating Rock Bottom and Roll one over in a veterans race, which is what this is today. And then he went on to run second in the Constellation of the Redcliffe Cup. So he's got some form around some pretty nice horses and he's uh, he's had two runs back from a spell. He ran second and then fourth, beaten not that far, but he wasn't able to lead in either of them. And I reckon what we saw back during the winter was he really grew a leg when he led. So the three horses drawn inside in numbers one, two, three, they're all horses that generally in the past have taken a sit. They're all sit sprinters, which means as long as Mr. Clooney can hold those to his outside into the first bend, then I think he can lead and hopefully lead them a merry dance. So um, I think Warfare number six is probably the main danger. Uh, just not sure if he has the gate speed to get across it's Mr. Clooney at the start. So hopefully Pete McMullen can once again find the front and lead all the way. So the horse's already been 420 into 260, so it's certainly been well found. But um, as I said, the way the track's playing, in front will be the place to be today at Albion. So that's race eight, number four.
Race at number four, it's Mr. Clooney. Leader Peter, Pete McMullen, to hopefully lead and win the final two races on the card at Albion Park. We appreciate you joining us. So what, what is the racing schedule? We gotta, uh, which one of the days is it, the four days of the carnival? Are, are you planning on missing one? You're going to go to Derby. You'll be going to Derby Day for sure. Yeah, I'll go Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. Um, I'm a member at Flemington, so I'll, I'll go along Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. I'll probably give Oaks Day a miss. It just gives me a bit of time to sort of get some proper work done, a bit of for, a harness racing form in preparation for that next weekend. If I sort of go all four days, it sort of wipes out a whole week. So at least by uh, not going on Oaks Day, then it, it means that I can get some proper harness racing work done in preparation for the weekend. You won't dare go to uh, back up on the Sunday to Maryborough, will you? Um, no, no, I probably won't go to Maryborough. Um, even if the Redwood Rattler was running, I probably wasn't going to go this year. I just thought well, the, the leaving time from Southern Cross was 7.08 a.m., I think, uh, which is after day, much, yeah. earlier than it, much earlier than in previous years. So I'd have to get up at, out of bed at about 5.30 a.m. after having been at the Derby the day before. So I wasn't planning on going even if the Rattler was running. Yeah. So um, it's, it's disappointing to hear that it's off, but... Um, I think the 7 a.m. leaving time may have scared a few people off. The only other option was to go through, but that's probably more my thing than yours. We'll, uh, we'll let you go, mate. Appreciate your time. Talk to you. Uh, well, I reckon I'll catch up with you over the weekend. Thanks, Bonners. Have a good one, mate. See there's, ya. there's a big cat, Matty Lepard. Time for our final break in the first hour. When we return, the wonderful Willems is just going to link us up with a nice little bit of music so that I can duck out for a breath of fresh air. And we've got one more hour of Trot's Life to come here on this Tuesday on SEN Track. Welcome to Tuesday Trots Life with Jason Bonington on SEN Track. Join the conversation today and text us on 0499 736 736. Hello and welcome back. Uh, second hour of Trots Life here on a Tuesday. And the fields have dropped for Saturday night at TP Melton. By the way, at about 12, uh, 17 and 48 seconds, we're going to be joined by Mick Stanley. They have a chat about Rock and Roll 2, who had his first run on New Zealand soil in the Ashburton Flying Stakes. See what uh, Mick made of it. He was very, uh, he wasn't back when he coming forward and saying, um, you know, we're not going to be fully wound up for this. We've got a couple of weeks heading into the New Zealand Cup, which is the uh, the critical target for uh, Rock and Roll 2. Hendo, as they call him at home, uh, after his win in the Group 1 Grand Circuit Victoria Cup. So we'll talk to him soon. But there are nine races to be staged at the home of Victorian Harness Racing on Saturday night. Race one, uh, nearly my number one suggestion here is not to, well, to back Mighty Flying Art, but this is a heat of the battle of the claimers. If you can scratch together between a few friends $10,000, you'd buy Mighty Flying Art, wouldn't you? Maybe he's not going quite as well as he was, and I know he's, uh, but he's been tackling some amazingly high-quality races. He's only a rating 88, you don't have to keep him in Victoria if you don't want to. You can move him around. Geez, that looks a purchase, doesn't it? I'm looking forward to hearing what Dan Malecki thinks about that on uh, on the Friday form panel a little later in the week. But they're my thoughts. Mighty flying out. Back him and buy him. Back him and buy him. Uh, race two is the first heat of the tab, Rising Stars Pace. And um, here we've got Ultimate Vinny. He'll be up along the pegs again. He'll be up along the pegs again. Bailey McDonough to take the drive on this occasion. The Wolf uh, has got really good gates. People, we know that uh, might be a leader ultimate. Vinny might get a beautiful run here. 
Uh, Hector. Hector for Emma Stewart off the second row. Um, this will be uh, this will be an interesting runner. Only had the one run here on Victorian soil um, for a very easy win at a uh, a very short quote. So it's probably the one to beat. Former Queenslander is um, is Hector. So it's probably the one to beat. But um, the Wolf's got ability. We know that uh, Ultimate Vinny as well. I don't see too many other really legitimate winning chances. Though Julie B Dynamite's going well, but the outside second line draw is not going to help. Third event on the card is the graduate. The Woodland started the graduate. Used to be a standing start race for the three-year-olds at the end of the season back in the day. Um, but now just pops up here for whatever reason. Um, major, major Mac Chatter. Mac Chatter is flying. Really lovely horse. Loved the mum, Union Alley. And uh, Mac Chatter's got a lot of Union Alley about it. Not overly big, fast. Um, I think it'll be hard to beat here, but Brutally Handsome will be going forward. It might assume the front, Kafaji. He's the son of a gun's the one to beat in the race. Um, I believe Cobb is a good horse. Kafaji, we know, has still got ability. I'd be narrowly going with he's the son of a gun uh, here, who uh, has had three, I think, all excellent runs back from a break. Um, just drawn horribly, unfortunately, in the derby final. But he's the son of a gun, should be winning. So I looked at the top of the page there and was talking about Mac Cheddar. And yes, I do like the horse, but... Uh, He's the son of a gun, the one to beat there for me in the graduate. Juvenile Affair is the fourth in the card on Friday night. On Saturday night, I should say. Friday night is the Swan Hill Cup. Uh, Saturday night, Queen of the Pacific. Sunday, Redwood Day. Wow, what a feast. Um, I'm not going to get too heavily involved in this, only to say the techies watching who's only had the one run then went for a break. I know, I remember hearing the camp have got a very big opinion of techies watching. Who is a... Sibling, a brother to Techie's Angel. He's got, I think, a lot of people will know, uh, has a whole lot of ability, Techie's Angel. Um, ran that spectacular, crazy time winning the feature mares race up in the Riverina not so long ago. So you'd imagine in that camp with that breeding and that opinion that they have that it's the one, but our mate Minko has only had one start for one win. I love the run of Naturally Gifted in the Tatlow Stakes on Saturday night at Melton. So, um, on Friday night at Melton, so keep an eye out for Naturally Gifted, now trained by Jess Tubbs and Greg Sugar's Lara J. Farmer-Murnion. The big one on the program is the Ben Studd Standardbreds, Queen of the Pacific at Group 1 level. As mentioned, one of only two mares-only Group 1s in Victoria. And I think only – how many other in Australia? I think there's only four. There's one in WA, Ladyship Mile. There might only be four Group 1 races for the mares right around – Australia Ladies in Red is the one to beat, but the second line draw at least makes life interesting again, doesn't it? Tough Tilly's draw in the front. So too Doug's Babe, but Tough Tilly drawing inside. Doug's Babe means that Tough Tilly looks to be your likely leader. Doug's Babe will get into a good spot. Treachery has to make a move from there. And Ladies in Red, this will be the interesting part. Uh, I think this, will, this is what will likely happen just on face value. Tough Tilly leads. Doug's Babe up to the breeze. Treachery goes around and... Gives Doug's babe cover, and Treachery then in turn gets cover off Ladies in Red, and it will give all of them a chance to win. But Ladies in Red just finds a way, doesn't she? Race six, Logical Starving Solutions Pace, 85 to 105 affair. Second leg of the quaddy on Saturday night. Um, Hooligan was desperately unlucky. Last up, drawing seven isn't necessarily his go in life. I'll be backing... So I black booked him last week, and he's finally found the right race, I reckon. Dan Malecki and I will be going head-to-head here on Friday. He'll be with Better Be The Bomb. I will be with Bulletproof Boy. 
I think we found the race for Bulletproof Boy. Hallelujah, Sing. Hallelujah, Sing. We finally found him a race. I think he'll be winning even from the second line draw. Tango Tara's out there as well. Front line runners, plenty of there with ability, but I think the Bulletproof Boy gets his chance here. Uh, race seven, another feature affair. Catanar's Jewelers four and five year old championship uh, at Group Two level, and Better Eclipse and Act Now. Act Now, of course, uh, a, a Group One winner in the Derby final last year, and Better Eclipse, a multiple Group One winner. Chariots of Fire, Sunshine Sprint. They have drawn 10 and 11, respectively, because this is a preferential barrier draw race. That leaves a front line full of runners that probably can't win, apart from, well, Lark Captain is, well, I don't know how good Lark Captain is these days, and has devastating gate speed. Firefox is here for Grimo, Jason Grimson and Cam Hart. Naratak Prince is um, firing two wins from three runs as preparation. But the big guns roll off the second row. Beyond Delight, Spring in his step. Acnow and Better Eclipse. I'm going to lean towards Better Eclipse at this stage. Acnow is very much a front of the field type. Springy Steps a really nice horse, but probably not quite as good as the other couple. And Beyond Delight's just drawn a bit awkwardly. So Better Eclipse, who of course finished third in the Group One Grand Circuit Victoria Cup behind Rock and Roll, do is uh, is the one to beat for mine. And I think we'll start we'll start a pretty comfortable favourite race eight. The return of my old mate, Knights Templar. I uh, really like this horse, but it's caused me some consternation, uh, some heartaches, some headaches, some nightmares, some, some insomnia, some pain, uh, some fractious pain, Knights Templar. But uh, I, I will be going again, I would imagine. I don't know if it's trialled anywhere, but that's going to be part of uh, sifting through the form. Uh, I won't be doing the form commentary for this meeting, though. I'll be doing the form commentary for uh, the Herald Sun and Harness.org on the Sunday meeting card at Maryborough because I'm going out there for Trot's vision. But um, I'll be definitely going through this these races with a fine-tooth comb. Race nine on the program. These races are always incredibly hard. It's the second heat of the Rising Stars pace. And if you really grabbed my arm and gave me a Chinese burn, I would say, let us say that. Yeah, probably are. I will say, um, I'll say, no, I'm not going to. <laughs> Burn me all you like. I'm, I'm not relenting because I, I, I really don't know what to give you. Lombo heaven, maybe. They're my initial thoughts on the nine races at Melton on Saturday night. As mentioned, huge weekend. Swan Hill Cup Friday night. Home of Josh Jenkins, Swan Hill. Will he be there? Probably. He's got to get back down for Derby Day. Maybe he won't be there. Saturday night, Tabcourt Park, Melton Sunday. Redwood and Victoria Trotters Derby Day at Mary Burrow. Time for a break. When we return, we will talk to Michael Stanley about his megastar pacer, Rock and Roll Do, who had his first run in New Zealand in the Ashburton Flying Stakes. Stick with us. You're listening to Tuesday Trots Life with Jason Bonington. What a feast for the years that is. Jeez, when that, that came in hot as well. It came in hot, Willem, that. Crazy stuff. Um, now, the uh, the horse we're all following from one side of the Tasman and hoping and praying and wishing and supporting him and his bid to win the New Zealand Cup is rock and roll too. That man's trainer and driver is Michael Stanley. He joins us on Trot's Life now. How are you, Mick? I'm going well, thanks, uh, Jake. How are you? I'm pretty good, mate. You were not. Um, I, I I only read the article with Michael Gearing, but uh, I don't think you were backward and coming forward. You're a really transparent um, uh, guy, and one one of the great people for the industry that's 
really willing to um, to tell it like it is. And rock and roll, do you had mentioned in that article last week? Probably took a couple of days, the big boy, to settle into his new surrounds. He's not used to being away from home, um, and you weren't expecting anything staggering on uh, at, at, at Ashburton. But what you got, I think, I think you would have been very happy with where he finished. It, bigger concern might be. Just that little, um, that little bit of ground that he lost at, at the standing start, but it's going to be um, that was an education for him, wasn't it? Yeah, hundred uh, percent, Chase. I, I was exceptionally pleased with how uh, how we performed um, after he uh, had that little uh, miss away for sure. But um, I think he can improve on that. I think a lot of the times uh, with the standing start, the horses will miss away because they get agitated and, and worked up, um, with the standing part. So where he yesterday was the opposite. He was, he was a little bit too casually sort of walking around, you know, dopely like he does. And, um, he sort of just poking up there. And then all of a sudden the two horses either side of him have taken off and he was like, Oh, I've, I've got to go and sort of caught him by surprise a little bit. So even though we, we settled down uh, 40 metres off them. Um, after that little mistake, he, he sort of did settle and, and get into a pace relatively quickly for his first time. So, um, yeah, so there was, there was plenty, uh, not only uh, the horse learnt, but um, but I learnt myself in, in the way that they, they stand the starts and that. So um, I think we'll take a lot out of it. This interview with Michael Stanley is for Garrard's Horse and Hound, the best dog at the lowest prices. So um, give the listeners an explanation of exactly what you mean when you say that. I mean, we uh, here in Victoria have had a bad history, certainly of recent years, of um, buggerising around a hell of a lot with the standing starts and there's twisting and turning and people are rolling around. And it's been one of the reasons why I, don't, I think that they've been uh, under the microscope. What, what was different over there in the way they, they conduct them? Well, there was no difference. There was no difference in the way they buggered us around him, telling us how the start was going to be. That's for sure. The, the starter told us that he, we were going to stand and then walk up together, and then all of a sudden, um, the inside six horses are running at the tape, and the outside four got left behind because he didn't make a stand at all. So, um, yeah. So, but yeah, I think the 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 best part about it is I think with the not not having a second line uh, tape and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I sort of let him walk in casually to try and keep him calm. But I think uh, now that I've had the practice that these standing starts here, they're basically, once they're all turned around, um, the starter's happy for the horses to, to move in and let them go as they're moving. So, um, yeah, I think next time I probably won't have him so chilled. I'll probably have him on the move a little bit, which um, should should make him, um, you know, get into his gear a lot better than what he did yesterday. So it's basically, for want of another term, it's basically a walk-up type start situation that they're happy for you to do. And the key I think you must have learned, and you you would have known this already, because funnily enough, even though he can be or has been a quirky horse in different ways, it isn't that he's any sort of um, any sort of madman. And there was no indication at all from what I could see that he's that kind of horse that would ever get into a gallop and then you know, just stay there and that would be the end of the, the story. In fact, exactly as you've explained it is just what it looked like. He just sort of, he just played around and had a little hop and a skip. The only issue, as you know, going into a New Zealand Cup, you desperately don't want him to do that because um, every metre you lose in, in a race like that is a metre you don't want to lose because he's only gone down by, what, two and a half lengths and how many lengths has he lost at the start? So 
Uh, if he does step well, it's going to make all the difference in the world because you know, uh, particularly with the improvement he'll take out of Ash Burton, that he's, you would still feel like he's the horse to beat, is what I'm saying on the second Tuesday in November. Yeah, we do. And, then, you know, Brendan and I spoke about that coming home because he, he blew up, you know, very big after the race. He, and, and that's what we was by design because, um, like I said, we spent the whole first week making sure he settled in and recovered and, and, um, and was feeling well within himself. So, um, so we knew that he was going to benefit a lot from the run. Um, and I sort of go back to uh, before, you know, his three wins there in Melbourne. And that's how I had him the night that better be the bomb ran him down in that race at Melton. He was, he was very uh, bullish and big and, and he blew hard. Um, but that's sort of where we had him because we, we had the other three races already penciled out. And that's how he pulled up yesterday. Um, and he came home and ate everything. So now he's had the time to, to settle in and, and get over the travelling. So now it's time to, to get back into his routine he has at home and, and really... Um, sharpen him up and, and have him ready to go. I feel like you're a, you're a big believer uh, these days, Mick, and we talk about this regularly, the way that standard breads have changed, where you've really got to peak them in preparations in the same way that the thoroughbred people have done for years. So, you, you know, you've got your target races, and even though it sounds funny because Rock and Roll Do has won the Kilmore Cup and the Caduceus Classic and the Victoria Cup, but he was really peaking for Victoria Cup night, wasn't he? And you're peaking him here again because these really, really unbelievably high-quality horses going that fast these days, I'm assuming you just you can't afford to keep them 100% screwed down, even if he wasn't over in New Zealand all the time. No, that's exactly right. And and it, it's hard to do that because if you have them, you know, if we sort of stepped into him as soon as he um, got off the, the plane and... You know, went into Ashburton and he raced really, really well and, and won it. You know, he say he missed away and he still won the race because we had him 100% uh, ready to go. Well, then he may have come home and, and he could be flat for the next two weeks. And then all of a sudden where he's how do we pick him up to, um, to get a bit of improvement where at least this way we can build on his fitness instead of trying to... Uh, instead of trying to recover him. So, yeah, you're 100% right. It's, is he feeling um, like, is he feeling good and he, he's got rid of any sort of um, homesickness or anything like that? What kind of horse is he? So is he the kind of horse that needs to have his mates around him as, at home? Has he found one or two mates at Kentuckiana Lodge? Is he a bit of a lone wolf? What kind of character is he? He, he can sort of head out to the paddock on his own and, and be uh, quite content, but... He was lucky. Um, Jack Butcher had uh, a trotter of his on the truck with him um, on his trip from Auckland to Christchurch and staying at Cranes also. So they've buddied up and they're in a stable beside each other and, and go out in the, in the paddock beside each other. So he has found a buddy, which is which has been good. But, um, yeah, he's he's pretty good. He, he can uh, go solo if he needs to. But um, it's like all of us. Um, you get bored uh, being on your own uh, very quickly, don't you? It's always better to have a mate around. Well, I was going to actually ask you the same thing. So I've spoken about the horse, but what about the human? Because you're on an adventure of your own. Um, and your your normal life routine is uh, not the same as it normally would be. Now, you're a, you don't seem like the kind of character that is going to, uh, you know, going to fall apart from that. But, you, you know, 
kids, everything, just the normal the normal life, the routine that, that sustains you, you're in a little bit of a different situation. You're not, you know you're not over there for six months. You're only over there for a few weeks and a job's got to be done and you'd be focused. But um, it's, it's different for you and not just a horse, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. You know, like in, in motel rooms, you know, the four walls are relatively close around you. There's only, only so many Netflix series and, and uh, you know, you, you can't just go and sit down at the pub all day. I mean, obviously that would be a good lifestyle if you could afford it. But, um, yeah, it is. It, it, it's, uh, it's quite boring when you're used to, um, you know, the, the, the hustle and bustle of, you know, working your team at home. And as you said, um, you know, I, I really miss going in and picking the girls up from school and go and watch their netball and, and that and, and you know, so I have I have missed that um greatly already and we're only a week in, so um it's gonna be another tough uh couple of weeks as far as that's concerned. But um you know, I I will say that um everyone over here in New Zealand, especially the Dalgettys have um, you know, really uh, made us welcome and and um and it sort of had me around there, um a couple of times and, and what have you. So, um, yeah, there's, there's things that we can occupy yourself. But when you go back into the to the small motel room, it certainly does get uh, get a bit boring. Well, here's a question, mate. I'll only give you a couple more and let you go back to work. But, like, when you're in that hotel room alone at night and you, and you know you've got one job to do, um, does it sort of – does it gnaw away at your little things and you think, well, maybe if we change this, maybe if we do this tomorrow and all the rest of it? Or are you very much in your own mind – between here and the New Zealand Cup, super set plan. I know exactly what I want to do. I'm not going to sit here and lie in bed at night stressing about the tiny little things. I know this horse. I know what he's capable of. And I know the plan between here and the New Zealand Cup, and we're just going to execute it. Pretty confident on the plan. But um, I think anyone that trains horses will tell you, you, you spend all night um, thinking about things that you still might be able to do or change or a little bit different. So um, have the plan in place, but yeah, always, I think you, you nearly, you have to think about ways that you, you may be able to think of something a little bit. So that does uh, fill up the mind, but that happens back at home, you know, with, with every horse. And even here, um, you know, we've, you know, Soho Seraphine's had her first run back the other day and is getting ready for a Breeders' Crown. So she's always, um, she's always going through the mind to see you know, her program and what we can do and relay it back to home. So it's not just him. Um, and I think every trainer would have those uh, thoughts of a night time, whether they're away or they're not. Well, you've got the uh, no more calming influence in the world than Crandall Getty. So that's going to be a help. Just very quickly before I do let you go, she was terrific the other night. No luck whatsoever. So, so ho Seraphine. And geez, the, the, um, the last couple of hundred metres would have been electric. Yeah, she was fantastic. Um, you know, it's just a just a real shame uh, the way the programming is as already a three-win horse that we couldn't get a run into her before the Tatlow. But um, I think if she had any luck at all, she she still would have won that race. Um, so, yeah, trending really well. Um, two weeks until the Breeders' Crown Heat. And, um, yeah, I think uh, I think she'll be right in the mix. So we'll, we're extremely happy with the way she hit the line. Oh, you, you had to be. Very much appreciate your time, Michael, and uh, we're all rooting for you over here, mate. So um, try and get some sleep where you can, and, and uh, those one percenters, hopefully they take care of themselves, and, and hopefully he steps away beautifully. But we'll, we'll talk again before the New Zealand Cup, but hopefully everything works out beautifully, mate. No, much appreciated, Jason. And I will say a quick thank you to everyone that um, 
has been following and reached out, it has been quite surreal that the amount of support that um, people have shown uh, with uh, rock and roll doing the trip. So um, just let everyone know that we, we really appreciate it. If you're listening now, uh, yeah, and I'll tell you what, sometimes comes in these situations from places that you wouldn't normally expect. Good on you, Mick Stanley. There's Michael Stanley. He is the trainer and driver of Rock and Roll Do, who will be representing Australia, not on the first Tuesday, November, the second Tuesday in November, the more important one, the New Zealand Trotting Cup at Addington. Time to find out what's happening in the news. Then when we come back, we'll find out a little bit about what tea Willem drinks. You're listening to Tuesday Trots Life with Jason Bonington. I think I am. I think I am ready to be loved. I'm, I'm, I'm taking. I'm actually putting. I'm putting a white flag above my head. <laughs> I'm ready to be loved. I am ready to be loved. If that song doesn't do something to the dopaminergic parts of your uh, of your neural system, then I think, unfortunately, something badly has gone awry. How good is it? Like how it immediately gets you up and about. Right. Let's have a quick look. We've only got. A few minutes left in this edition of Trot's Life. So let's have a, uh, a quick squizzle, dizzle, as I like to say, on uh, this meeting at Swan Hill for a start. And then I might get to a couple of best bets from uh, the resident tipster for tonight's meeting, even though we've got those, uh, a few from Bendigo, a couple from Menangle and a couple from Albion Park from the Big Cat. And we'll see who did the form as well. So the Swan Hill um Mile on the Swan Hill pacing cap. We've already had a quick squeeze at those, haven't we? The mile, by the way, 1,609 metres. One thing to know about the Swan Hill mile and the 1,609 metre start at Swan Hill is it is one of the most unique. And I don't know why, because Swan Hill was modelled after Tabcourt Park, Melton, I reckon. But for some reason, oh, this is why, because it's, it's a 1,609 metre start. So Basically, if you're drawn any wider than two, you've got no hope of crossing. None whatsoever. It's it's on a bend virtually, the start for the Peter Walsh MP One Hill Mile. Sammy's ideal, Bud Sidewinder, the raconteur, the last chance. Uh, Rocket Boy, great word, raconteur, by the way, one of my favourites. Um, Magic Mike, Finn Frost, I'm Shadow Box at National Draft. I can't give you a hell of a lot of help there to once again go through the field for the 3SH Swan Hill Pacing Cup. Hopefully that. Radio station is uh, associated with SEN track, or I can't say it again. Uh, group three level, Cosimo drawn one, Vanquish stride two, Blitzoon is coming out of box three, Velox Equus four, box, I'm watching Hillsville Dogs, Barrier three, uh, our millionaire, Phoenix Prince, like a wildfire and Torrid Saint. Now you would think based on recent evidence, I'm a huge Phoenix Prince man, but he seems to be taking a bit of time to get into his work, you would think that our millionaire would be finding the front there and you'd think that he would be the one to beat uh, unless, unless somehow, could he? Is it possible? If Cosmo could hold up, he'd be doing everything possible to hold up knowing that Torrid Saints directly behind him and they are stable mates for Team Douglas. So I'd be thinking the two genuine winning chances there are our millionaire and Torrid Saint in the 3SH Swan Hill Pacing Cup at Group 3 level. In terms of uh, the resident tips for the Bendigo meeting tonight, um, and there will be 
a lot of races staged there, 11 races staged overall. The selections we've got from Craig Rail, who's done me a little bit of a favour as well. Craig Rail swapped the meeting there so that he's going to do the, the form for the Queen of the Pacific card on Saturday night at Tabcourt Park, Melton, and I'll be doing the Redwood Victoria Trotters Derby card on Sunday for harness.org, thetrots.com.au and the Herald Sun. Craig Rail, best bet. Race four, number seven, I'm Princess Bella. That's what I call my beautiful little daughter. Best value, race one, number two, Lollipop. Give that a lick. Race five, number eight, the best roughy, Vapor Fire for Craig Rail. Then we go to the early quaddy and the quaddy. The early quaddy, $50 gets you 25% for Craig Rail, two, four, six, seven, and eight into one, seven, eight, nine, and 11 into two, nine, 10, and 11 into three and seven. So that combo again for the early quaddy tonight at Bendigo at Lord's Raceway, two, four, six, seven, and eight into one, seven, eight, nine, and 11 into two, nine, 10, and 11 into three and seven and the $50 flexi quaddy uh, for the main quaddy or what I heard Luke Humphreys calling the principal quaddy the other day. Uh, this will get you 20.83% in the combination for that quaddy, which will have a bigger pool. One, four, five, eight, and 10 into four, seven, eight, and 11, into one, two, four, and seven, into one, three, and four. That combo again, one, four, five, eight, and 10, into four, seven, eight, and 11, into one, two, four, and seven, into one, three, and four. I will be, uh, I'll be ducking out in just a moment and we'll be getting a little update with our man Dolts, I reckon, from Palmer Bet. And then after that, hours and hours of quality programming on Trackside. Cam Luke and Campbell Brown, the two Cams to be joining one another in Willem for uh, many hours of fun and frivolity. Next time I'll be on air after this. Wayne on tomorrow, you get Wednesdays with Wombat tomorrow for Trots Live. And he'll be joining you on Thursday as well. But um, go back and do the hard yards and come back and join Dan Malecki from 10.30 till 12 for the Friday form panel. And, of course, the Thursday night lids fly, the grand final edition. I don't know if Watchy will be joining us this week. Definitely Peacock and I will be there. Watchy's made the dramatic decision to head back to Mother Russia for a short period of time. One of the stranger things I've heard of. I know his wife is Russian, but still, I wouldn't care if my wife... Were. I, I just couldn't imagine this would be the time I'd think to myself, I might head back to Vladivostok just to see how the crops are going, but watch he's over there at the moment. That's the music to say that I can go home. Au revoir, Rivia Duce, and hasta la vega. Enjoy the next several hours of trackside, and good luck on the punt, wherever you might be having a play.